0: the science basement hello hi welcome back to the science basement podcast episode number five and also it's the new
1: beginning of the new semester yep are you going to teach this
0: in this term I do, because as PhD students, we do have to have a percentage of uh, time allocated to teaching. So I will be assisting in a course, which is actually in Greenland and Iceland this summer. <gasps> wow. Yes, but we'll start from March uh, preparing materials. So I'll be assisting in um, a sort of science communication and social media aspect of it. Oh, that's super cool. Yes. I
1: will be teaching at the University of Helsinki. So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nothing, nothing, nothing fancy, but yeah. Let's go straight to our guest for this episode. So we have Ursk Ganse, who is actually our first doctor guest, because (gasps) you already have a PhD and you are a postdoc right now, and you are in the space physics group Mm -hmm. at the University of Helsinki, and what Mm -hmm. he works on is big simulations on supercomputers of the near-Earth space. Yeah. which means that for this time we're going into space, which is my space. environment as well. <laughs> space. Very cool. So Urs, tell us more about your research. Uh,
2: well, we're, we're using big computers all around the world to try to find out what's happening in space around us, um, especially in terms of solar wind and magnetic fields and all the weird things that high-energy particles do and how they hit. The Earth magnetosphere, and then in the end, how they cause northern lights, and how they play with satellites and kill everybody, or maybe not, <laughs> if we can prevent it.
1: So, what is on these um, big simulations is uh, the magnetic bubble around Earth, right, which is called the magnetosphere.
2: Yeah, so so our simulation boxes, like we have a, a box in the middle. There's the Earth, and the boxes go out all the way, basically to the orbit of the Moon, which is like sixty Earth radii. And then we simulate all the magnetic fields in there and all the flows of plasma and um, yeah, high-energy particles uh, and whatever happens, how the magnetic field deforms and how it sometimes hits Earth and sometimes doesn't. And, uh, so there's lots, lots of stuff to, to see and find out. And then we compare that with satellite observations to find out that either we are wrong or they are wrong or sometimes both are wrong. <laughs>
1: You mean in the satellites being wrong? Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> <laughs> They're
0: always wrong. So I think for someone who's not at all in this field, we, the audience, including myself, would hear about um, this solar wind coming in and having mm-hmm. more activity and affecting um, instruments. What? How else is your job applicable? How can we understand it better at our level?
2: Um, well, you, especially here in Finland, you can... Uh, go north and look at the sky and see northern lights occurring. Whenever northern lights occur, that means that some high-energy stuff is hitting the upper part of the atmosphere, and most of that is coming from the sun. Um, The thing is, however, that the the solar wind coming from the sun doesn't hit Earth directly because of the magnetic field. Um, And for the longest time, people were very confused about how that happens, because it is quite a complex Field quite complex structure, but satellites only measure here and there wherever they fly around. So if you have a satellite somewhere, you can it can tell you what the magnetic field looks like, but can't tell you where the stuff came from and where the stuff goes to. Um, so people have been drawing field lines with pen and paper and were r- relatively confused about how the hell things from the sun end up at the, at the North and South Poles. And it took basically until the 70s, until computers were big enough, that people started to build computation models and simulate the whole the stuff. But even now, as the computers get bigger and bigger, we learn more and more about what what is actually happening there. Um, and I, I guess what's an what's easy model to understand is what's happening there, if you look at the sink in your kitchen... And you think about there's water coming in, and eventually the water runs out the drain, and you try to understand how's that happening, where is it flowing and just by looking at the sink, you can't really tell what will the what will the flow be like? will it form a swirl or will it just flow right in and vanish and it's a kind of similar problem in in space if you just look at Earth and there's stuff coming in from the sun, you can't really tell where how how will it flow or how will it hit where will it end up? Um, and in, in the kitchen, of course, you can just turn your, your faucet on and the water will flow and you will see it. Um, but in space, it's more difficult since it's in space and it's, uh, it's most, almost a vacuum and it's very hard to see. So that's why we need to simulate it.
1: And is your simulation in two dimensions or three dimensions?
2: Um, well, actually, technically, it's in six dimensions. Um, <laughs> because the, the way we're simulating, uh, in, in every it's, it's a three-dimensional space. But in every point in the space, there can be stuff flowing in all directions at the same time. So, in every point in space, we have another three dimensions of things, of the velocity where stuff flows. So, that's what makes the simulation so tricky. Um, and then, because that also requires lots and lots of memory, which we don't have, we are cutting away as much as possible from the simulation. So, in principle, it's 60. But actually, it's mostly two D what we're doing. So okay. we're, we're looking at either cut through the Earth's poles or through the equator, and then the. So yeah, you take one it. plane in the in yeah. the six D space, yeah.
1: which is three D plus velocity in each point. Yes. Okay. So, would you say that you can't <clears throat> that you can't have a perfect big huge simulation because of like com- of computer yeah, uh, yeah. We- capabilities today?
2: We did we did the math once, and if we want to do a real simulation of everything around Earth, we need a supercomputer with about um, a thousand terabytes of RAM. <laughs> so, not going to happen anytime soon. Um, but we're getting there, and um, who knows? Maybe at the end of my career, we'll be finally <laughs> able to do that. I
1: consider that like twenty years ago, even like this simulation that you're doing now wouldn't have been possible. Right? Yeah, yeah, so and we're we inventing techn- technology is. Going, yeah, is we, going we're on. inventing
2: new tricks all the time, and um, we are we are hoping to do some some sixty simulations. we we're neglecting really stuff here and there, but not the important stuff. We're hoping to do the first ones in in the next five years.
1: Hmm, that's great. And the name of and we haven't actually said the name of this big simulation.
2: Ah, yeah. Um. The, so since the the system that we're simulating, plasma in space, is, is described by the Vlasov equation. Vlasov was a Russian scientist, and yeah. after him this equation named so our simulation code is called Vlasiator since it's basically (laughs) like the terminator (laughs) of the Vlasov equation
1: (laughs) (laughs) always great names in space physics Mm -hmm. always and now one 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 small um, anecdote about you so you you are a postdoc you Mm -hmm. are you are young but still you you have published a book already
2: Um, well yeah I Recently, well, it it started about four years ago that I I gave a a talk at a a nerd event in Germany about how to fly spaceships. Um, It was just a general introduction, like how do you steer a spaceship and how do you fly to the moon and so on. Um, And that was put on YouTube. Um, It's in German, though. Uh, And then the Springer Publishing Group suddenly sent me an email. So they found it on YouTube and they asked me if I want to write a book about it. And I was really confused because I didn't think I could fill the book with it. Um, And then I asked my sister, who's also working in space, but she's working in space medicine. At that point, she was working in the German Space Flight Center doing um, the medical exams of astronauts mm. before and after they fly to the space station. Mm-hmm. And then we teamed up and made a general handbook for spacefarers. And oh, that's, wow. that's what it's called now in, in German though, uh, the, uh, the little handbook for endeavouring spacefarers. And it just came out before Christmas. So if any of our listeners yeah, know German, yeah. <laughs>
1: knows German, then we can, we can link uh, your yeah. book on... Das kleine
2: uh, yeah. Handbuch für angehende Raumfahrer.
1: Wow, <laughs> oh, <that's> so, cool. <laughs> so we can link your book uh, in your in our description box and also the Blasiator. Oh for yeah, example, oh, we definitely. will put links if you are interested. And we really hope that this book gets uh, translated yeah, into English.
2: Yes. Yeah, yeah so asked. they they already said if it sells well, um, and we don't have any numbers yet, but if it sells well, it will be translated into English. And I already have people that offer to translate into French and into Finnish. So <laughs> oh, that's there'll be so something cool. for everybody, hopefully.
0: That's so cool. But why do you? Um, so, what is your relation to knowing how to fly?
2: Well, it's not in an official function that I that I know about it. It's just that everything with space is exciting, and I just. Looked into everything, so I looked I looked into how to build rockets, how engines work, how spacecraft life support systems work, and all that. I was just generally nerding out in that direction, um, and and that's also why I didn't at first give this talk in any professional setting. It was just a the the event where I gave it is is called the Goulash Programming Night, which is a event in in Karlsruhe where uh, people are meeting to to talk about programming but some other guys that were also present that couldn't program decided to combine it with cooking because they said cooking is like programming so it's about programming software and cooking goulash which is a weird combination <laughs> and I thought um, this is exactly the level where I can talk about how to fly spaceships and apparently that was so now it's about programming software cooking goulash and flying spaceships that's so
1: cool. <laughs> So yeah, we can really say that you're a space nerd at three hundred sixty degrees. I'm trying. <laughs> <laughs> and also, I know that you published in uh, an article in medicine and some others in computer programming.
2: Uh, well, yeah, but since since my sister is, is working in medicine, um, we just have a paper that we just submitted, um, looking at sports medicine, how how old uh, so senior athletes, how their performance. De- Degrades over time, and um, since I'm a nerd, she asked me to spider lots of databases about sports results, athletics results, and now we've got a huge database over twenty years of, of sports results and uh, looking at statistics of how it decreases and so on. And oh, that's nice. Yeah, and, th- and then I have some some friends that work in computer graphics, and I was co-author on one of the papers on how to do ray tracing and so <laughs> just lots of funny things. <laughs>
1: Yeah, you really do enjoy science at, at yeah, a big sorry. level. Yeah. yeah, I'm I'm not
2: a person for real work. I'm just <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: can you tell us about your um, scientific career? Meaning, like where you've been uh, doing uh, your PhD and then all your yeah. like I, your postdocs. So I, I
2: started. I studied in in Germany in Würzburg and. From there I had a one exchange year in Scotland, headed to what university in Edinburgh, and there I got a master's degree, actually without knowing it first, they, they gave us a master's degree at the end of the year, uh, but that was, since I, I really wanted to finish my German diploma, I went back to Würzburg did my diploma first, and then also did my PhD there. Um, from there I went first here to the University of Helsinki. Um, work here for a year and then decided to skip a Finnish winter um, because my PhD supervisor by that time had accepted a position in South Africa. So I skipped the Finnish winter and was in the Northwest University in Pochevstrum mm-hmm. for half a year. Um, and then I came back here. And so, yeah.
0: Yeah, now you've been here for some quite, quite yeah, some o- years. O- yeah.
2: Overall, it's five years now, but yeah. Has it
0: been physics and space
2: physics? Yeah, it's, oh, been, it's been all space. Oh, well, uh, technically my PhD was in astrophysics, but mm-hmm. the, the difference is small.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. I have a question. So now there's more talk about... Um, I heard... I listened to a presentation about space trash mm-hmm. because we have more activities now in space and um, how we have to actually start putting regulations in what mm-hmm. do we do with the trash and so on. Mm-hmm. Um so can you talk more about it, more about this and also how uh, solar activity is also going to affect us as we yeah. become more living in space?
2: So um, the, the, the problem with space crash is if you want to be in space, you don't just have to you know, be far up, but you have to go very fast to basically fall around the Earth. That's what an orbit is. You, you go so fast sideways that by the time you fall down, you fall around the Earth which means that you have to go with about 30,000 kilometers per hour uh, in an an orbit. And if there's something, whatever small object going the other way and hits you with 60,000 kilometers an hour, it's it's very lethal. So even something as small as a speck of of paint that falls off a rocket, at 30,000 kilometers an hour is a very dangerous projectile. And if it's little screws or even larger pieces, that becomes a problem. Um, And in the early days of spaceflight people launched rockets and they didn't really care what happens with them and a lot of them, since they were filled with with fuel, they just blew up eventually into shrapnel. And now there's more and more trash flying flying around Earth in, in low orbits and it's not that big a problem yet since it's still lots of space between them. There's lots of space in space. <laughs> um, but, but people are calculating if we keep just launching rockets without thinking about it, then um, within the next 30, 50 years, it might become so problematic that we cannot fly into space anymore because stuff will just hit everything.
1: And because there is traffic
2: in space. There's traffic, yeah. Um, every, everything that's larger than, say, a tennis ball can be tracked with radar from the ground, but even something as small as a screw can can punch through the space station and punch a hole in it. Um, so there are now lots of lot, lots of efforts to to try to reduce that, and one part is is a ground we are now working on. Uh, we we just got lots of money from the Academy of Finland to uh, build small satellites and to test out ways to remove them from orbit without having them linger around as trash forever um, by using 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 plasma as a, a material against which to break. So we we unroll a huge electrically charged tether which then has friction with the plasma and finally causes the satellite to fall back to Earth. And then the solar activity is very important for that um, because the sun sometimes sends us a little bit more and sometimes sends us a little bit less of material and also the the amount of sunlight coming out fluctuates fluctuates a little bit. Um, And that wasn't known until the 70s when the, the Americans launched their first space station, Skylab, I think in 1972, they didn't know that the, the the amount of energy we get from the sun is fluctuating, so they just put it into the lowest orbit they think they can be, and just above the upper edge of the atmosphere, thinking that the lower they put it, the easier it is to get to, and so on. Um, but what then happened is that a n- number of solar flares in the solar activity maximum Heated up the atmosphere, and the atmosphere expanded outwards, and the friction on the space station increased and increased and increased, and eventually it just crashed down in, from space because oh, they had no control over okay, it. Okay, yeah. And now yeah, the
1: Skylab is still in Australia, right? Yeah,
2: well, it hit a cow. Some parts hit and killed a cow in Australia. This cow was oh. the first, the first um, victim. known <laughs> victim of space debris on the ground. Um, but yeah, so um, ever since then, and with with the with by tracking the orbit, they they could measure how much the atmosphere expands, and that is now something people have to take into account when, um, yeah, when deciding into what satellite, into what orbit to put a satellite, and so on.
0: So, for example, this project that you were just mentioning of of uh, getting trash back in, mm-hmm. letting it fall. Mm-hmm. When it falls, where would it fall? How can you control?
2: Um, it's it's part of the thing we want to measure. How good is this? Electric sail, electric brake that can be deployed in satellites, mm-hmm. because we know it's going to fall down eventually, and the t- tiny satellites we're building satellites that are maybe ten kilograms in, in mass, so they they will uh, evaporate completely when they go back into the atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Um, but once you talk about larger things, once you talk about things like space stations, they will just crash down, and there will be sizable chunks of metal falling down. Um, so. Sometimes you can control it, sometimes you can't, Um, especially if your satellite is out of control, then it'll just fall somewhere. Most of the time people try to throw stuff into the Pacific and then it just sinks to the ground. It's not a problem, but if it's uncontrolled, it might be a problem. Wow. Mm -hmm.
0: One more uh, source of... Junk. yeah there, there <laughs> there is, into the ocean there, there's a
2: there's um, one big satellite by the European Space Agency I think it's Envisat, that is about the size of a school bus um, and that is now out of control so they lost communication with it they can't send it any messages and it's just tumbling around it will re-enter eventually but it's very hard to predict when and, and where and where yeah, yeah. And there yeah. are there are discussions about sending small spacecraft up, docking to it, and mm-hmm. then pulling it out of orbit in a controlled manner. Not any concrete ones, but that might be something we will have to do in the future.
1: Okay. Yeah, and there are ideas about sending uh, small spacecraft with propellants that mm-hmm. they can just attach to the bigger ones and then propel them. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, somewhere.
0: Oh, otherwise we'll have another
1: cow incident. Yeah, <laughs> or worse. Yeah, yeah, oh. yeah. That the cow was not. A big problem, yeah.
2: I guess. It could be a bison or an elephant.
1: <laughs> okay. yeah. mm-hmm. Should we go for our game? And now, finally, we found a very trivial, but finally,
0: we have a name sci <laughs> Yes.
1: Yes. Stefan introduced the categories for
0: this. Round. Okay. So we have five categories, and we'll choose randomly choose uh, or generate a letter. So we have to find a word for each category, and the categories are things in space, sci fi movies. Excuses for not respecting deadlines at work. Uh, things you shouldn't touch. And the fifth is lies to write in a proposal.
1: And proposals are things that we have to write to in order to get grant money and like to get funded to do our researches or to travel to some conferences or visits somewhere. Yeah. So it's a very important part of being a researcher. Yes. Mm-hmm. And we will... Uh, Stephanie, do you have the random letter generator?
0: Yes. Yes,
1: yeah, so now Urs will generate a random letter and then we will have two minutes to fill all these categories uh, using uh, a word or a sentence that starts with, with the random generated letter. So good luck to us, and Okay. where is my pen? Yeah. Here. So the letter is
0: J- I. I. I.
2: Okay. 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 Okay.
1: Um. One second. I lost my timer. Yes. And timer starts. Three. Two. One. Now.
2: Okay. First category. Ion. Things in space. Uh, I, I would say. ionosphere.
1: ionosphere. But uh, that's I it. would have said ions. Yeah. Ions. Yeah. Charged
2: particles flying around in the solar wind.
1: Yeah, that's true. So particles that are either positively charged, positively charged, or or negatively charged.
2: Second sci-fi movies. Well, that's easy. Interstellar. <laughs> interstellar. yeah oh, right. I was
0: thinking I Robot. Oh, yeah. Interstellar. I actually haven't seen that one. Oh, I I didn't like it. You, you should you should find all like the
2: factual it. mistakes and all the things that are good about it because <laughs> so, it has both.
0: Okay. So apparently Urs likes to
1: watch sci-fi movies and find uh incorrect physics in the movies. Um
2: excuses for not respecting deadline. Well, I would say influenza maybe. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> yeah. So if you have the flu, then maybe you can uh, ignore deadlines, or maybe not. <laughs> um,
1: Things you shouldn't touch.
2: Oh, I know, a great one with I. kanji
1: What wow. is that?
2: Irukanji is an Australian little box jellyfish. Um, it's about the size of a thumbnail. And if you touch it, nothing happens. And then about five hours later, you are in the most intense pain. Um, and your blood pressure oscillates up and down for three days. And wow. people uh, uh they have to be strapped to their beds and basically put under under heavy drugs for three days and then it just goes away. So it's a it's a thing you definitely should not touch. It's the the most painful thing you can have by but, touching it. But, you, but do you
1: survive by touching
2: it? Uh some people die simply because their their blood pressure drops so much from um. their pain response. Um, but if you do survive you have no lasting damage. It's um it's a very weird no, neurochemical effect that's not fully understood um, and it's caused by this tiny little jellyfish. Wow. Neurocrunchy.
1: And lies to write in a proposal, I would say, I will win the Nobel Prize.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it have to does it doesn't have to be a sentence starting with I
1: mean, a couple of words like.
2: Oh, um, oh okay. Oh. Yeah, well, we'll write this. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I will win the Nobel Prize.
2: A Nobel
0: Prize. With this research. Oh, no. Well, of course,
1: <laughs> yeah, just okay. in general, so just give me the money. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> wow, I really didn't know about the jellyfish. Irukandji, yeah, yeah. yeah. So my question, so I, I didn't like it particularly, the movie Interstellar, so... Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what what are your like scientific opinions about that movie? So where, where did you find some like very big faults?
2: Well, the, the thing I like about Interstellar is that it was not originally the idea of, of the, the director, Christopher Nolan, but it was the idea of Kip Thorne, who last year got the Nobel Prize in Physics for the gravitational wave experiment. So he had this idea about this... This movie, the story about black holes and wormholes, for at least twenty years. I remember when I was twelve, I read a book by him, and he already talked about this. <laughs> so when I saw this, I I immediately understood this is what he wanted to tell. Um, so in terms of of the black hole physics and the the wormholes and all the space time delays and stuff, it's it's very it's about as precise as you can get, um, because the guy who had this idea, he's the expert on it. It does a number of other things kind of wrong, um, especially uh, there's, there's a scene where they dock with the spaceship and the other guy tries to dock with a And I'm, I'm not trying to spoil the story here, but the orbital mechanics of it is all wrong. So one moment the spaceship is crashing and the other one, they stop its rotation and then it's not crashing anymore. <laughs> so, yeah, some, some things are a bit weird, but I think overall it's a very good science fiction movie. Okay, okay.
0: I'm going to watch it.
2: Mm-hmm. And it has excellent soundtrack.
0: Yeah, the soundtrack was cool. Yeah. yeah, that's true. I mean, I understand that you have to kind of sometimes um, allow certain scientific... Uh, the science, ignore it a little bit to make the story fit, but... Um, you
2: need a bit of suspension of disbelief as, yeah. as you tend to do in science fiction.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, there was like it would be kind of boring because yeah, yeah real physics is...
2: <laughs> yeah, it's not
1: a science fiction. Yes, oh, real physics is not boring. <laughs> no, it's not boring, but <laughs> it, it, it takes a while sometimes. <laughs> it's, it's not boring, but it's not as as exceptional as a movie, probably. Yeah, yeah. So round two, Urs, go mm-hmm. with the next letter. Ah, next letter.
2: Oh, we do this okay. multiple times. Uh, how do I even press the button? Yes. Oh, sorry. I don't know. Yes. Okay. And then the next letter. Is C.
1: C. Things okay. in space. Three, two, wait. Okay, with I'm the sorry, timer. I'm sorry, I'm three, sorry. two, one, now.
2: Okay, in space. With C, uh, there is, for example... Comets. Um, comets. I, I, I would have said Ceres, which is the biggest asteroid in the asteroid belt. Uh, yeah. Um, or we have comet. Or comets. Yeah, yes. Well. And the asteroid
0: so, belt. That's... Uh,
2: that is the is a part between of a solar system between Mars and okay. Jupiter, where there's lots of tiny asteroids flying around. Okay. Well, not tiny. Ceres is multiple hundreds of kilometers. Yeah, kilometers. so yeah, Ceres is the biggest one. Yeah, yep. it's a dwarf planet. Um, sci-fi, sci-fi movies?
1: Sci-fi Contact. Oh, yeah.
2: Excellent. Contact.
1: And I haven't seen this one.
2: Um, uh, uh, Oh, I've seen it a long time ago. That was before I started studying. So it's about... Well, you'll, you'll have to watch it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's nice. yeah, it's a very nice one. Okay, excuses for not respecting deadlines with C. Um, uh, call. Call. Well, that's so the same we've TV had already as influencers. No, I said call. Call.
1: Like call from somebody important.
2: Ah, a call, <laughs> yes. Um, well, maybe. <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> Things you shouldn't touch with C... Carbohydrates? No. (laughs) (laughs) You should maybe touch some carbohydrates. Uh, But something chemical, well, chemical burns. Yes. Chemical. Or chemical, yeah.
1: Chemical trash. Yeah,
2: something
1: like that. Yeah, Yeah, perfect. Okay, I to write a proposal. Lies lies, um, lies to write a proposal. uh,
2: Completed in time.
1: Okay, so now, oh my god, we are going so well this time. We can pr- probably try to find a better one for the excuses, since expecting. we have some some additional um, time.
2: K- k- p- 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 let's see. What would you
1: do to not respect that
2: one? Chronological order. You have to do something else first. <laughs> 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 Chlamydia. <laughs> what? <laughs> Chlamydia. <laughs> no, that's not a reason for not respecting deadlines.
1: And yeah, we have we've been very very good this one as well.
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Sci-fi movies. Contact. So, what's uh, yeah. what's your opinion about Contact? Contact? If oh, you've not I seen the other one, but this one.
0: The, ah,
1: right. So, yeah. I, I also very much like that in the, in almost every episode we've been talking about some movies. That's true, we <laughs> have, yes. The <laughs>
0: Spian's basement podcast and movie club. Yes, <laughs> but content is very nice. So Carl Sagan, and um, it was with Judy Foster. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, one one thing that I would like to mention about that movie, it's this, they, they talk about somebody taking um, credit for somebody else's work. And... Um, and and you know there's a scientist who's really into her science, but then there's always some politics. Always when there's some bigger project, and this is, I think it's interesting because to also mention this and there's and there's a, a female scientist, so um, it's not just science, but there's more deep stuff, more uh, issues that we can talk about mm-hmm. based mm-hmm. on this movie. Mm-hmm.
1: Okay, we'll definitely watch it. So after the episode, Stephanie, you will watch Interstellar and then we'll watch Contact. I, will watch, yeah. I heard Interstellar is
0: three hours though, right? Well,
2: it's pretty long. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, it's because of the, the, the black hole stretches time. That's, yeah, <laughs>
1: so when, you, okay. when you're like watching it, it looks like it, it feels like it's, it's forever, it lasts forever mm-hmm. because, yeah, all the relativity and time that mm-hmm. goes and stuff. So last uh, round.
2: Okay, let's set up the... We are table. doing
1: so well this time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we don't need two minutes. Yeah, we would
2: need, like, one minute. Probably. Okay, letter R. R, like pirates R. Um, R. in space. Three, two, one, yes. Okay, things in space. Radiation, radiation. I would have said regolith. Regolith is on the moon,
1: it's not Re- in space. Well,
2: it's on every planetary body, the dust on the surface, you know, the, the just moon dust and also asteroid dust, it's called regolith. Oh. That's... Um, then there's a research group here in the University of Helsinki that studies it and how what its scattering properties are. Okay. Sci fi movies with R. I'm not that good with that. Um, b- b- red Dwarf. What? Wow,
0: that's a movie?
2: That's, um, that is a movie and a series, and it is probably the most popular British uh, sci fi series.
0: Oh!
2: About uh, two guys stranded in a the spaceship, the, the Red Dwarf, and they hurtling through the galaxy, and it's it's um, very British. <laughs> <laughs> Excuses work. for not respecting deadlines. Now we can say radiation. <laughs> no, I'm not sure. Maybe something more reasonable. Um,
1: uh, uh, how, how is it called when you, when you have to go and take your, like, no, that's called x-ray, right? No, you, like, I have to go... So have to not, well, yeah, but Ruskin. that's not in English word. Yeah, exactly, We're in English yeah. podcast here.
2: <laughs> um...
1: Let's think about things you shouldn't touch.
2: Okay, things you shouldn't touch with are...
0: Rabid ra. dogs.
2: Rabit dogs.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> Especially they shouldn't touch you, but probably you shouldn't also touch
0: them. <laughs> yes.
2: I love
1: how we think about I, you have ideas about everything. and uh, nice last to write a
2: proposal. proposal. Um
0: right. results.
2: Yeah. Results guaranteed. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so we have only the excuses for not respecting deadlines line. right now.
2: Um, uh, sorry,
1: but r- r-
2: my ro- rocket not working. <laughs> Since we're in space here. Rocket not working.
1: Well we, we, we found Answers for everything. Yeah, you know, for all three letters, and this yes. is the first it's time. Really? Yes.
2: Hmm. Come on.
1: course, we are really, really, really happy to to
0: have played. And to learn something
2: about Australian jellyfish as well. Yes. yes. Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> exactly. And this rubellite—that sounds uh, interesting. I, I I was in a um, science art um, night festival in Mexico once, and mm-hmm. there were these um, artists who worked with. I can't remember which scientific institution, but they were trying to recreate the smell of the moon. Oh! And it was based on some material that they had
2: gathered. Okay. Well, yes. I've, I've, I've heard that the the floor of the Pacific Ocean in, in its mineral composition is very similar to the surface of the moon, because apparently the moon formed when some big body struck Earth and oh, right. struck it out of what's nowadays the Pacific. Okay, so. And there are people trying to recreate the moon surface material and to try to grow plants in it. I was at a, at a conference once where there was an entire session about what grows on lunar soil. Mm-hmm. And they had little strawberries that looked a little bit sad. But they were growing on the moon and there were beans and there were some other plants. So. Oh, wow, that's cool. <laughs> so
0: planning um, greenhouse gas,
2: yeah, like well, a little gardening. Yeah. <laughs> If If you're thinking about building a moon colony, you have to think about how to grow strawberries.
1: So now it's time for the science anecdote, but I'm not saying goodbye or thank you to Urs yet because Mm -hmm. it would be my uh, turn to tell the science anecdote. But I know that even if I haven't read it because it's in German, your book is full of science anecdotes in space.
2: About space, yeah.
1: Yeah, so we decided that for this time you are going to tell us something from your book
2: okay um, um which one are you thinking about uh, we, the, the one we discussed since we, since we were just talking about uh, growing food on the moon maybe um, there's there's this funny story in one of the Gemini missions um you know the it was the second space program of the American uh, of NASA actually the first one properly run by NASA the previous ones were run by the Air Force still um and they had two asteroid uh, two two astronauts in a spaceship flying around earth a little bit and they had food in tubes, so whatever, what everybody would believe astronaut food looks like, like pureed beans and so on. And one of the astronauts, um, John Young, who had already flown to space before, was really sick and tired of this astronaut food. So what he did was he smuggled a sandwich in a pocket <laughs> of his spacesuit. Um, and there's, there's a really funny part of the radio transmission transcripts where all the, all the words that have been said are written down where his, his other co-astronaut, Gus Grissom, suddenly asked, what is that you have there? Well, it's a, it's a sandwich. Where do you get that from in space? Oh, I smuggled it. <laughs> <laughs> and then they both tried to eat it and crumbs were flying everywhere and it started to be dangerous that the crumbs might shortcut the, the electronics. Oh, wow. <laughs> so) And because of that, because he smuggled a, space, a sandwich into space, he was suspended from flying for from the astronaut corps for a while. but then NASA forgave him, and then he was the first one to fly the space shuttle later on um, so yeah, you can totally eat a sandwich in space, um, but it has crumbs. you have to take care of getting your crumbs in order um
1: actually um in one of my latest flights, not space flights. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that, <Erica. laughs> one of the last time I was I was flying uh, over over ocean mm-hmm. um, I I watched a documentary or like the first episode i guess um, from uh, from the UK called like Aston's uh, dinner in space mm-hmm. where like this michelin uh, chef uh, had to uh, make a gourmet dinner for Tim Peak mm-hmm. when he was on the space station mm-hmm. so I uh, I've seen like all the requirements mm-hmm. for food in space. They are like very very strict. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah yeah they, So you definitely shouldn't be smuggling. A they, they had
2: they had lots of problems in the, in the the Mir space station, the Russian space station that was flying for a long time, um, which they hadn't thought of when they were designing it. That over a while, if you have a space station flying for twenty years, smells start to build up. I mean, both from the plastic giving off gases, but also the astronauts giving off gases. So um, apparently the uh, Mir space station got so smelly during at the end of its time that astronauts getting on board, in some cases, got sick. It was called the second space sickness. The first time the astronauts got sick when they went to zero gravity, some of them, and the second time when they entered the space station. Um, and so in the ISS they now have very strict requirements about the food should not produce too much gases and then there's filters and all that but it is apparently still the case that there is has a very characteristic smell it's not as bad as the as the mirror anymore but it is still apparently very characteristic
0: gosh all the things you don't think about mm-hmm. but yeah, you have to i have a question before we leave mm-hmm. do you have a recommendation for a very good sci-fi movie of any time
2: a very good sci-fi movie um that sh- should be something that's
0: just your personal.
2: It's, oh, it's, hmm, hmm, hmm. apart
1: from Interstellar, we already know. We already yeah, Interstellar is I, I, quite one. good. Um, what do you think? About, what like, did you think about Gravity? I haven't seen that. I, one. I didn't like that at all. Okay. Yeah, I it's, haven't it's, seen that. It's one.
2: beautiful, but it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, no. Um, what I really like—it's not a movie; it's a series, and it's currently running. It's The Expanse. Oh, yeah. um, it's it's in the near future, and it's all entirely set in our solar system, and it's, I I like that very much. But I know a lot of people who don't. Um, So that is one thing. And then sci-fi movie, a proper sci-fi movie. Hmm, hmm, hmm.
0: Well, the expense. The expense is
2: good, yeah. Or if if you're looking for this really weird '60s German science fiction, there is a, a movie and, and a short series, I think three episodes or so, called Raumpatrouille, so space patrol. Okay. And it it was filmed before Star Trek, and it, it it is really ridiculous, and everything looks '60s. Everything everybody has haircuts from the '60s, and they use they use obvious um, like irons ironing irons and 60s household items as the spaceship controls okay and, but it's great <laughs> i like it a lot <laughs> oh that's
1: very cool okay thanks so we, the, the german version of the very very first star trek series yeah, yeah exactly is great yeah, yeah. <laughs> but unfortunately it's in german i
2: guess it is yeah, yeah. but it's you maybe, it's, it maybe it. we can find it with subtitles I, I, yeah. it, it does exist with subtitles oh then, that's mm-hmm. great mm-hmm.
1: Okay, so Urs, thank you so much. We learned so much. And, yes, also, and also we have finished the game. Mm-hmm. We have finished all the categories and all the letters for the first time. Mm-hmm. Yes, thank you so much. It was very entertaining. Hmm. Um, so, a uh, quick... Uh, recap of our uh, links, so we are on Twitter at Science Basement on Instagram at Science underscore Basement and our email is the Science Helsinki at gmail.com Thank you Urs again very thank much you. and thank you Stephanie the co-host Thank you Erika, thank you Urs mm-hmm. and see you in two weeks, goodbye Bye, Bye. The Science Basement